0: It feels like a good time to meet another popular figure in the world of the occult and spiritualism. And if you're going to be in the game, we have to understand the players. I say as an athlete. I wanna be, I wanna be part of the team, let me in. <laughs> William Butler Yeats is a poet that many people have probably studied in school. And he's not the first writer poet that we've talked about who has dabbled in the occult and put it in their work. And he won't be the last I'm sure. And if anything, I guess we're probably helping build our listeners an occult library at this point, with the amount of oh. writers we're talking about who have been in this world. The dream, an occult library, a Kindle content maybe. Kindle edition only. <laughs> Kindle edition. <laughs> everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm M. Schultz. And I'm Christine Schieffer. Every week, we'll explore the evolution of
1: spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture.
0: We're talking about William Butler Yeats today. And I, up until today, didn't realize mm-hmm. how involved in spiritualism he was. This keeps
1: happening. In our episodes, we're learning that these people who were very successful and we learned about in school... Why didn't they talk about this in school?
0: I feel like Parcast is doing a real bang up job of keeping me on my toes because I feel like every topic (laughs) we've discussed, I've somehow not known anything about it. And I've been talking about the paranormal for five years. It's actually, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Every time blows me away. So we're going to have a good time because he's quite an interesting man, quite a silly man. Not as silly as some other people we've discussed, but he is still, well, it's a high bar. (laughs) Very interesting. So let's crack into it. Before we get into William Butler Yeats's story, I want to ask you mm-hmm. as another member of the spirituality community, when you first got into spiritualism or I guess spooky stuff in general, mm-hmm. did you ever feel like you ever got any pushback on that or did you feel support hmm. right away? I know we've talked about your Akashic records at one point. and feeling like you got some pushback on that. Did you feel like you actually got pushback or were you just expecting pushback?
1: No, I think I just was slightly embarrassed because I know how off the wall it sounded to a lot of people. I feel like I'm very lucky in that my family never, maybe they just weren't surprised, but they never really, you know, pushed back on anything that I was really into or exploring. And I mean, I guess part of it was that we lived in LA. And so you know, looking into Reiki and all that was not necessarily off the wall in that part of the country. (laughs) Also, your family has some
0: background in that stuff, too,
1: right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Like I started doing uh, Reiki courses. My mom was like, oh, I have uh, my master's certification in Reiki. And I was like, pardon? What? So I think there was much less pushback, I guess, than I expected. What about you, though?
0: I don't think so. I've mentioned before that I have been talking about ghosts since I was a little kid. So I think my mom knew early on to just accept me as like a bit (laughs) of a terror. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) and also growing up, I think I was always surrounded by friends who talked about ghosts and spooky stuff. And, I've never been in a circle where I got to learn anything outside of mainly ghost stories, which is why that became my bread and butter. But as I got older and met people who were into like witchcraft and things like that, I'm sure they experienced backlash from someone, but I've always been so interested in that kind of stuff. I've never had any pushbacks. I've never practiced it. But every time I talk to somebody who's really passionate about it, it makes me kind of have the bug. Like I kind of want to try it out.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a good point. I haven't really been practicing much of this s- kind of spirituality stuff or witchcraft in a long-term very like open public way and I feel like if it were a much bigger more obvious part of my life maybe I'd get more pushback but for the most part it's just an interest in it and I think it's hard to you know nobody in my life has been very aggressively against that
0: yeah yeah I think I grew up in a pretty open-minded world. Like In my personal world, it was pretty open-minded. So I never had to deal with anything like that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As for William Butler Yates, who we're talking about today, he unfortunately wasn't in, I guess, an, as open-minded of a personal world as we were in. He definitely had mm. some pushback on his way of thinking. But he was super unapologetic about it. He definitely mm. had confidence in these beliefs of his. And I didn't know, do you know a lot about William Butler Yates? Well, an embarrassingly little amount.
1: I will. Me too. You.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> not as of today, but as of yesterday. Previously. Yeah. Previously, oh, yeah. I on. feel like this
1: is just another. Previously on, where we are just simply uneducated. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those names again where I'm like, oh yeah, know a little bit about him, but not the interesting stuff. <laughs>
0: like not this stuff. I felt the same way where I was like, I know his name, and that as far as I thought. I thought that was enough for like the rest of my life. <laughs> I was like, I know of his name, and if someone ever mentions him, I won't look that stupid. But no, I was wrong. I totally didn't know anything about his life to this Same. level. I mean, he's just one of many writers and poets out there who are really into mm. spiritualism and mysticism. And do you think there's any connection to that? Or, I mean, that is so true. Like Sylvia Plath, I mean, all these folks are just so. I wonder
1: if it's just having that like creative mind or that kind of openness. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. Do you have a theory?
0: I have the same thought that though. like if you're already kind of coming up with like fantastical concepts, you're probably more open to other fantastical concepts. I mean, when I think of like the trope of an author, I think of like how a lot of them are, you know, talk a lot about philosophy or you know, mm-hmm. why things are the way they are. So I could right. see why they would be more connected to questions about the afterlife yeah, or questioning the, the universe, the meaning kind of, of life. Yeah.
1: Right. OK, that's a really good point, too. They like look into things in more depth, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would guess that's that's a good point. The connection. If I were a poet, that would be my excuse for also being into spooky stuff. So <laughs> maybe we should become poets and then no one will ever challenge us. Oh, OK. That sounds great. We'll just say it's part of the process. <laughs> Our creative process. So let's get into it, Christine, because uh, I like this guy. I gotta be honest. It's a kind of Ooh. a sharp turn from the other characters yeah. we've talked about. I'm very
1: hesitant to have opinions about people until I hear the entire story. Lately, yeah, I know we've show. got
0: quite a cast at Rituals of <laughs> Crazy Spiritualists, but yeah, we've
1: had some unsavory characters. So it's exciting to find someone who's maybe a little more palatable.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's certainly more palatable. I feel like I could maybe go get a a coffee with him and just listen to him talk. When I was in uh, college, we had an area. It's not there anymore because, of course, it got taken down, but it was called the Wise Woods. And a lot of people their studying philosophy, all their classes would be in the wise woods. And it was literally the forest with a bunch of like wooden benches and people would just go. What? The- they just have their classes in the forest. <laughs> I love that. And I would like to take William Butler Yeats there and just have him tell me, you know, all of his beliefs. And I'm coming third wheel in it. Yeah. Hey, I really do miss the wise woods. I think one of the dumber things about my school was getting rid of that because it felt so, it's so sad. You felt so connected and talking about spiritualism and things like that. So anyway, that. if Bill were here, I would have taken him there. <laughs> so William Butler Yeats was born in June, potential Gemini, hey, hey hey 1865 in Dublin, Ireland. And his dad was a lawyer who turned his attention to art and Yeats followed in his footsteps. So, Yeats spent his childhood time between Ireland and London because of his dad's art studies. But in the mid-1880s, he was a student at the Metropolitan School of Art in Dublin. Mm. And as a student there, he met poet George Russell, who introduced him to and also sparked his fascination with mysticism by giving him a copy of A.P. Sennett's book called Esoteric Buddhism. Whoa. Uh, yeah big words. And Esoteric Buddhism was published in 1883 and was one of the first books to explain theosophy to the general public. So oh, sure, sure, sure. Of course. Theosophy was course. Uh, just to fill in the gaps for people because I was like, what the heck is theosophy? It was <laughs> an occult movement from the 19th century that focused on achieving spiritual reality and divine wisdom. Oh, Oh, la, la. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In 1885, Yates got his poems published in the Dublin University Review and then abandoned school to pursue other things, mainly his interest in occultism, which I, too, would have loved to abandon school to pursue the occult.
1: And to be fair, if I had done that, I imagine I would have received quite a bit of pushback from my family if I abandoned (laughs) school. to. So, like, to be fair, I said, like, oh, my, you know, my parents let me have my interests and whatever. But... I
0: didn't, like, leave college for it. That's an incredibly fair point. That
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe I would have gotten a little more harsh criticism for like, that. Like,
0: yeah. No, we definitely didn't get pushback because we were doing other things, at least on the outskirts, at the very least, of yeah, being yeah. into this stuff. But, yeah, he said, sayonara, school. Okay. <laughs> Time to go talk about something else. Okay. So, I mean, I guess he was... In his mind, it was a success. In that same year after he left school, he chaired the first meeting of the Dublin Hermetic Society. Oh. And he was just 20 years old. I feel like everyone was succeeding a lot earlier in life back in the day.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we'll have stories where we're like, oh, at age 14, he became a surgeon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How? What do you
0: mean? Yeah. And at 20, he joined the Dublin Hermetic Society. What was I doing at 20? Even- Certainly not chairing any meetings, I'll tell you that much. It's I know. what I was doing. Well, especially in the occult space, I feel like there's a lot of young overachievers, yeah. which maybe that was our calling the whole time. We were young overachievers in the occult space. Yeah, mom and dad, that's why I had a <laughs> solid B average my entire life. It was, I was overachieving in different spaces. Right. Yeah. Okay. I can feel the eye roll happening. <laughs> so in the late 1880s, Yates went back to London where he started networking like a boss. Hashtag hey. girl boss.
1: Oh yeah. Billy
0: right there. So he Good met writers Oscar Wilde, Lionel Johnson, and George mm. Bernard Shaw. Wow. And he met his muse also. Oh my goodness. Okay. I don't know who my muse is. I don't know if I've met her, but Hello, I'm right in front of you. <laughs> Silly. My bad. Silly M. Um... Well, he met his Christine and her name was Maud Gone, which feels like a Muse name. Maud <laughs> and he proposed Uh, to her several times and she said no every time which makes me think that as much as I liked William Butler Yeats he did not know how to take a hint with women so yeah
1: but I kind of feel like that's such a muse thing to do like I'll uh, be your muse but I won't marry you like keep like keep an element of like (laughs) Uh an air distance yeah some mystere between you I kind of like this mod person
0: also back in the day I feel like being that persistent with a woman, despite her like obvious nose, was like somehow romantic. I feel like all of our grandparents, mm-hmm. when they tell their love stories, it's like they're telling a true crime story, and are yeah, unaware of it, it. Sort of
1: like, and when did you call the police exactly, Grandma? <laughs> like, it's like, no, right. no, we got married the next day. It's yeah. Like,
0: oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like anytime I've heard my grandparents tell their love story, I'm like, oh, oh so he should have been arrested. Got it? Like, it's just. <laughs> Anytime I hear a general story like that. So I feel like maybe to him, this was romantic of like, I wouldn't give up. And it's like, okay, well, Maude was probably over it. Move on. Yeah. But more importantly than him meeting his muse, his return to London is where his secondary, maybe actually primary love of mysticism grew exponentially because of the people he met and the groups he joined while he was there. How fun. But if you do know William Yates, you'll know... Then in 1889, he published his first volume of poetry and his work included so much inspiration from mysticism.
1: Oh, okay.
0: This is something that my English teacher should have led with. That's what I'm saying, right? I'm like, damn. I would have totally been invested had. Same. Anyway, way to go. Way to go, teacher. (laughs) And mysticism and spiritualism were also found in later years when he began writing plays. So it was a consistent theme in his writing.
1: Yeah, he didn't give up on this one. He was persistent, just like with Maud.
0: Both of his loves, yeah. (laughs) He didn't give up, that's for sure. And, you know, you think more about any of the plays, and not any of them, but a lot of the plays in the 18th or 19th or early 20th century, a lot of them seem to have origins in spiritualism or the occult. And I feel like you and I were just talking about... Macbeth recently with the witches and yeah
1: that's so true I feel like maybe it's because that was such a prominent theme and it was like more openly an interest for everybody like at the White House they were literally having seances so maybe that's why maybe it was just like more in the zeitgeist yeah
0: maybe now there's some sort of walls built up I think there's still the weird stereotype of like oh if you're into spiritualism you're into devil worshiping or something I like that. I think the 80s really uh, did a number on... Satanic yeah. Panic. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. So, hey, before Satanic Panic, there were just... Plays and poems just being written all over the place about this stuff. I I miss those days. (laughs) I miss those days, too. I (laughs) totally was there. So William Butler Yeats would go on to win the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1923. Oh, good for him. Award winning. Award winning. But we have so much more to cover before that when he was swimming in his love of the mythical and magic. Okay. I'm all
1: about his trophies, too, but I just want to hear about, like, this mystical stuff.
0: Well, what's great about it is he was not apologetic at all. Hell, yeah. So in 1892, he got some backlash, but this was a quote from him in response to that backlash. Now as to magic, it is surely absurd to hold me weak or otherwise because I choose to persist in a study which I decided deliberately four or five years ago to make next to my poetry, the most important pursuit of my life. If I had not made magic my constant study, I could have not written a single word of my Blake book, nor would the Countess Kathleen have ever come to exist. The mystical life is the center of all that I do and all that I think and all that I write. Whoa! So he was about that life. <laughs> <laughs> he was invested like hardcore. I really do feel like he would have been a thrill to like sit down oh, with. Absolutely, he would have given you like that emo, moody, philosophical talk that you always wanted when you were like fourteen, and you just I would wanted have had to... a crush on him for sure. Yeah, I feel like all of his poems in today's world, if he wrote song lyrics forget oh, it oh man panic forget the it. disco MCR forget it step aside talk about the fandom up next back in London full time in the late 1880s William Yates started working the mysticism circuit we'll talk about the players the way magic started showing up in his work and keep going on Yates lifelong no apologies tour I got a VIP ticket
2: Hi, Parcasters. It's Greg and Vanessa from the series Serial Killers. For the past five years, we've explored hundreds of history's most notorious murderers, giving listeners an intimate look at their sordid origins and heinous crimes.
0: If you haven't had a chance to join us before, there's no better time to dive in than right now for our Serial Killers 5th Anniversary Special. It's a four-part examination into the mythology surrounding four fearsome killers.
2: Edmund Kemper, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Our fifth anniversary series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made their stories larger than life.
0: If you've listened to the show before, we hope you enjoy. And if you haven't, this is the perfect series for any avid ParCast fan. Follow Serial Killers to hear our four-part fifth anniversary special. Listen now, free and only on Spotify. So we touched on this a little in the beginning, but let's head back to London in 1887, and William Yates had left art school a couple years earlier and got introduced to occultism. Mm -hmm. And London is where his magical freak flag really flew. Oh, yeah, I get it. Girl boss. So in 1887, he was back in the city and joined the Theosophical Society, which was a group led by a Russian woman named Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Oh, my. Or Madame Blavatsky, as she was known. That's Madame Blavatsky to you and me. I feel like when you got a name like that, you deserve Madame immediately. Absolutely. From the womb. There's a little infant in my arm named Madame Blavatsky. (laughs) And she wanted to bring together Western and Eastern mysticism. Oh. We find out in 1887, not only does William Yates meet her, but we also find out that she has been exposed as a fraud a while back. Oh. But Yates did not care that she was deemed a fraud and they became friends or at least oh. they they knew each other. And she was living in South London trying to rebuild her movement and invited Yates to be a central part of the Theosophical Society and had hoped that he'd move up the ladder quickly in the group. Great. So, but what Yates really wanted to do was conduct magical experiments. Oh, so this was just a stepping stone. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like how there is, in his mind, a strategy to... Conducting magical experiments.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you did say he was networking like a boss, and I feel like he really is strategizing here, you know?
0: And even though he wanted to conduct magical experiments, the Theosophical Society didn't approve of his experiments, and he was expelled in 1890. (gasps) Oh, no! So... It's kind of a good thing because the Theosophical Society's loss was the gain of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Oh, these folks again. They're back. (laughs) With a vengeance. Because (laughs) when Yates was expelled, he'd already joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Uh, Dawn.
1: So he is really strategizing this
0: stepping stone. He always has a plan B, plan C, plan D. He's like, if you're going to kick me out, I'm going here. So no gaps in his resume. Love that for him. And Yates had met the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn's leader in a British museum reading room. And his name was McGregor Mathers, which sounds like an evil farmer or something. <laughs> um, he sounds like he went after Peter Rabbit in the worst ways. like you know? McGregor Mathers. <laughs> so uh, Golden Dawn members followed philosophies and practices that supported the individual spirit. Aha, that's right. And Yates was fascinated by Mather's magic powers. And he reportedly told a story once saying that Mather's once handed him a cardboard symbol and had him close his eyes. And this is a quote from Yates. There rose before me mental images that I could not control. A desert and black titan raising himself up by his two hands from the middle of a heap of ancient ruins. And I guess he was supposed to see that because Mather's told him that what he had just seen was quote a being of the order of salamanders okay okay so after yates joined he met even more big names including several people who sound like they're not real they sound like they were written in a harry potter book algernon blackwood oh come on (laughs) alistair crowley who we know Yep. bram stoker arthur Mm -hmm. edward waite and william westcott
1: yeah you're right this sounds like
0: some sort of wizardly order or like a Cowboy Western. Like I could see like William oh. Westcott, Evening Ma'am, like just tipping his hat. Um Algernon Blackwood. Yeah, <laughs> Algernon Blackwood is the scariest cowboy in all the Wild West. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, he
1: definitely like has his hands and he's like, he like runs <laughs> things behind the scenes, you know? In front of the
0: scenes. What are you talking about? In front of the scenes. You're right. He's in charge of like the police. He's got the bars all backing him, everything. Sparkass so, is like no, none of that is anything, <laughs> and it's not real.
1: Stop saying it. And this is where I say this is me making stuff up. It's this is not us Parkhouse's
0: fault. Being chaotic. It's <laughs> Algernon Blackwood is a very fine wizard, I think, or something. So <laughs> he's one of the Salamanders. So one of the Golden Dawn's most famous members was Aleister Crowley, who I don't know if we know and love he keeps popping on up, but we certainly know him. Mm-hmm. And Yates was not a fan of his. Oh. Yates felt that Crowley wanted to use his alleged powers for evil rather than good, and Yates got a lot of the other high-ranking members to agree with him. He's starting a click. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, you couldn't have said it better because it's about to get so high school. Really? Like, the drama is out of control. Oh, I, I can't wait. was jaw-dropped. So, I'm... Crowley complained to Golden Dawn leader, Farmer Mathers. I remember. And uh, he complained to him while well, they were in Paris, and so... I guess when he complained to him, Crowley ended up getting his promotion in the club there. So back in the London chapter, Yates wanted Mathers to know why exactly Crowley was giving a bump up in the group. And Mathers ignored the request, and the London chapter renounced Mathers as their leader. (gasps) So now he's out of the picture. Oh, man. And things escalate even more when in April 1900, Crowley went to London and attacked Yates during a chapter meeting. What? I'm telling you, if I could go back in time, it would be April 1900. I am coming with you. I need to see this. The drama is so juicy. If I was a member of that group, I'd be on the floor watching them attack each other during a chapter meeting after they already openly hated each other. This is so fascinating. Needless to say, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was in a downward spiral at this point, which is also where my sanity would be if I got to watch (laughs) this drama unfold in real time. (laughs) And to top it off, it was also revealed that the documents that the Golden Dawn's rituals were based on were actually forged, (gasps) made up documents by member William Westcott. Not William Westcott. Not the cowboy of our dreams.
1: He made up these documents.
0: So everything ended up becoming a lie. They just found out everything was forged. Oh, that's pretty sad for them. (laughs) Well, for them, yeah. For my interest in gossip. I'm okay with it. I'm You're like, on board. <laughs> so in 1902, the Golden Dawn tried to rebrand and Yates stayed on as a high grade wizard oh. until the group dissolved in 1922.
1: He's not given up on this dream, this particular dream.
0: He was like, I committed myself a long time ago and mm-hmm. we're here to stay, we're folks. still here. So during this time period, Yeats's art became highly poetical and niche. Mm. And so he's writing poetry, but it's very specific to his occult and mysticism world. Okay. Again, my English teacher failed me because had I known about that, I might have actually picked up the book. (laughs) But (laughs) by then, though, Yeats had turned his attention from his magical experiments to spirit communication. Okay, now I'm listening. Yeah, I love that he's just Mm. bopping around all my favorite topics. He really is. So in 1917, he said his wife tried automatic writing, which, Christine, you know Mm -hmm. all about. Love that stuff. Would you want to describe automatic writing? Oh, boy. It's sort of like you are a vessel for a
1: spiritual being, a higher being to communicate through you. So a lot of times you meditate and the belief is that you allow a spiritual being to kind of write through you
0: Is kind of the traditional way of doing this. And so when you're writing, you are not in control of it at all. You're just kind of your hands moving and someone else in the astral plane is in control of the writing. Yes. And you're the sort of the vessel for communication. Yeah. You are the Ouija board, basically.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, You are basically the stenographer of the Ouija board, 100%. Might I add unpaid. Oh. <laughs> I don't think benefits or payment come with this job, but it's yes. a volunteer basis. I don't know if you Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Stenographer is a great way to put it. Yeah.
0: Well, so if you heard me right, you heard me say that he had a wife. And fun mm-hmm, fact, mm-hmm. Yates was 25 when he got married to 52 year old Georgie Lees. Oh, okay. And assuming there was no creepy intention or scandal there, I love a progressive age gap relationship. Why not? Yeah. Good for the two of you. Go for it. And if there was a creepy intention or scandal, I don't like it anymore. But until (laughs) further (laughs) just let's put it all on the table here. (laughs) But until further notice, I am happy for the two of you. So Georgie's spirit writing and communication would be what's called a breakthrough for Yeats. And we're gonna talk about that breakthrough in a second. Coming up, Yates's wife pushed him into new territory, and we're going to find out how that affected his work up until the end. All right, bring it on. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated.
2: Abuela, listen to what my phone can do.
1: Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer.
2: Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer.
0: So a couple years after Georgie tried automatic writing in 1919, Yates and Georgie believed spirits manifested themselves in a different way when Georgie began talking in her sleep. Oh, now that's some creepy stuff to me. I don't know. It's creepy. I don't know if I like it. I don't like the idea of lying next to somebody and they just start talking and it's not them. No, thank you. Well, Allison does that, right? Like she talks in her sleep. Which is why I can tell you firsthand I don't like it. It's not
1: fun. (laughs) I lived with her too in college and I was like, what is this about? What is this laughing in the dark that i was going to say,
0: she also started cackling, like waking herself up because she's laughing so hard from a dream that she had. That was not funny, by the way, because she'll then describe the dream to me. And I'm like, that didn't warrant you scaring everybody here. (laughs) That was not worth it. Uh, Laughing
1: in your sleep is next level.
0: Well, I need to take a page out of this guy's book because the next time Allison talks in her sleep, I'm going to do what William Butler Yates did, which is, When his wife would start talking in her sleep, Yates wrote down everything she would say.
1: I see. I like this. But you know that there was some weirdness in there. Like my brother once when we were little said he yelled, go eat a fat broccoli. And like I wrote it down because I thought it was funny. But like I don't think it had any sort of deeper meaning. You don't know that. (laughs) I don't know that for certain. That's true. But I feel like, you know, there was just some nonsensical stuff written down in that journal where he was writing this.
0: Over 50 notebooks of what she said what? in her sleep were filled, <gasps> which she sounds like a chatty Kathy. How did he ever get any sleep? There's no way he was well rested. He had to have been taking a lot of day naps to be, to think. stay up and write everything. 50 notebooks worth? Think. Forget yeah. it. And this became what Yates considered his public philosophy. Oh, okay. And as someone who's nosy, I would love to read all 50 notebooks of what your wife said while she was sleeping because there's at least one diamond in that rough if you know what i'm saying you got to believe it so his public philosophy his belief system evolved to include the concept that integrated the human personality with the cosmos so he thought we're all connected and he used Uh. the lunar phases to classify and categorize the human personality aka Uh. astrology Oh, this is what this
1: woman was saying in her sleep. I'm telling you, I've heard a lot of people talk in their sleep and it's never been quite as profound or quite profound at all.
0: I wonder if she was like, Gemini's are chaotic evil. Or something. And he was like, this is my new philosophy. He was like, the cosmos is spoken. <laughs> so Yeats's poetry also featured influences of the occult. And specifically when he wrote about the reincarnation of the soul or the passage of time. And it's probably most prominent in his poem, The Second Coming, which was published in 1920, among others.
1: Ooh, okay.
0: And Yeats is well known for his poetry, but also he later devoted time to writing plays. Okay. And he also got involved. I mean, this guy's all over the place. He also got involved in politics in Ireland in the 1920s. Oh, interesting. Which was an experience that is also reflected in his written work. And he was actually appointed a senator of the Irish Free State in 1922. Whoa, this guy is a busy beaver. This lets me know that he was not taking day naps while also staying up all night to write (laughs) his wife's words. He was just running on steam for like 10 years. Sleep deprived. And in 1923, after all that, he was also awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, and he kept churning out more work after that.
1: You are not kidding. You were like, oh, he got the Nobel Prize. But there's a lot that happens before
0: then. And you really did bookend that. Uh-huh. There's a lot that went before this Nobel Prize. Can you imagine if you just won the Nobel Prize and then like, I feel like after that, you're like, what else is worth my now time? what? Like, I'm glad he got the Nobel Prize after the fact where he's like, okay, yeah. everything has led to this. So accomplished. So in 1939, William Butler Yeats died at 73. Mm. But- I got to say, I still think he was a cool dude. He caused minimal trouble as far as I'm concerned. He kept himself. He was confident.
1: He was confident for certain. He didn't have, he didn't apologize for his interests.
0: Mm -hmm. I love
1: this. I love it. He had like a non-traditional relationship. I'm just, you know, I'm about it. Once again, I just, I kind of wish my um, literature courses in high school had been kind of angled in this direction I might have been more um, prone to paying attention but me too that's a me problem you know so
0: well I said the same thing I thought that I actually want to go read his spiritual poetry yeah I would like to see if there was any I guess drama like I wonder if he slipped any of it into his poetry about him versus Aleister Crowley now that part yeah maybe he had like a poet's version of a burn book oh like Aleister Crowley is a ugly slut you know like it's like do not trust her (laughs) he
1: hit me in the face during our meeting what did he do he attacked me
0: what did virginia george say these salamanders are the nastiest skank bitch i've ever met like (laughs) (laughs) like
1: salamander there's a lot that happened in this episode
0: i would love to see though if his writing had anything to do with the drama because then we could combine the spiritualism with the gossip but either way i just want to know about his spiritualism occult poetry i feel like that'd be so interesting i'd also love to see all 50 notebooks of whatever his wife had to say while she was sleeping we've got to get our hands on those notebooks for sure Oh yeah that's the next task of our day Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from Biography, The British Library, The Nobel Prize, Poets.org, The Irish Independent, The Theosophical Society, Laffam's Quarterly, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and Atlas Obscura, Black Magic Against White, Alistair Crowley vs. W.B. Yeats by Richard Ellman. Remember to follow Rituals on
1: Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for
0: free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at ParCast on Facebook and Instagram and at ParCast Network on Twitter. You can find me at BM Schultz. And you can find me at X-Teen Schieffer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. It was created by Max Cutler.
1: Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine.
0: fact checking by Haley Milliken. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz.